podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, You Were Always Someone Else. While we're visiting the blue sun, we wanted to return to the Sandman for some dreamlike inspiration with The Doll's House. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast You Were Always Someone Else, we discuss sources of inspiration from other games and media for our Invisible Sun games. The Sandman comic series by Neil Gaiman has a lot of stories and characters that we can turn to to use for inspiration. And The Doll's House has some really interesting themes that we think we might be able to use in our games. So why don't we take a look? A uh, brief overview. Uh, the Doll's House is it's uh, collected in volume two of the graphic novels. Uh, and it is issues 9 through 16 of the actual Sandman series, uh, which came out back in the 90s and was collected and republished back in, you know, graphic novel form. I think the latest one was 2010 or so. Uh, and this is basically the second major arc of the Sandman series that we wanted to uh, discuss because there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that is very relevant to the Blue Sun. I mean, obviously it's the Sandman, so there's always going to be stuff about dreams and how, you know, he governs dreams and how dream logic works in the series. So, you know, hey, let's let's talk about Doll's House. There's a bunch of stuff in it. So, Scott, did you read this? I have read this many, many times. Uh, it's one of my favorite arcs for uh, Sandman, so it's something I revisit a lot from since its initial publication. Um, I'll, I'll also of note uh, with recently they've announced the development of a Sandman TV show with Neil Gaiman involved. I think for Netflix. Oh man, I kind of remember that. Are you sure it's not on like the DC streaming service? I'm. I am sure it's not on the DC streaming service, but I can't remember if it's Netflix or Amazon. Um, but I think it is Netflix, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not positive. It doesn't matter that much. Uh, they've announced that it's going to be 11 episodes and is intended to cover the first arc, which we have just, we've discussed in a previous uh, segment, but this is actually the follow-up to what will be season one then of the TV show and volume one of the graphic novels. Um, the book is useful, obviously for con its connection to dream, but also just its use of surreal Im uh, imagery throughout can be useful in other parts of the game and setting uh, because even the non-blue sun parts of the setting are still surreal and will have a dreamlike quality to them. There's more than just the surrealism that I thought was interesting with this thing, with this uh, arc. And it gets into the character of the Sandman and the Corinthian and their motivations and how you might be able to use them as inspiration for, um, I guess godlike creatures or npcs that might show up in your games 
It sets up an arc a little later on that we won't discuss or spoil very much, but there's a later arc called A Game of You, which is actually my favorite arc uh, from the comic book. Yes. And not not a popular choice as favorite arc, but it has a lot really? of surreal elements, and it focuses on identity, and particularly trans identity, which at the time, especially in the 90s, was a, a very rare subject. Um, but this arc sets that one up later down the line. I'm surprised that that's not a more popular favorite arc because a game of you is, I don't know. That's the one that I remember. And that's my favorite one. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, usually some, some of the other arcs that are more uh, mythological and uh, have more kind of action and play into the, either the world mythology or the mythology of the series uh, are typically more popular because a game of you has some connections to the series as a whole, but is largely separated and doesn't include Morpheus very much. Uh, so I think that might be why it's not quite as popular, but it, I, I like it a lot. Obviously you do too. So there's no reason for us to, try to convince each other how good it is. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> um, I just want to make sure I'm remembering it correctly, but a game of you is where they there's like a, they, they turn your expectations. They subvert your expectations in a major way when it comes to how Morpheus deals with this major confrontation that he has to get into. Uh, I'm being pretty vague, but does that sound familiar? Right. Well, I'm not sure if it's the one um, to be specific, but not to spoil much. Uh, the most popular arc is probably a season of mists, which involves uh, Morpheus's return to hell. And then a That's game the one of I'm you. Thinking of. Yes, <laughs> that's probably the most most popular one. Uh, a game of you it, I, it might immediately follow that uh, after some short stories. Yeah, um, it, it, and it's preceded by a season of mists. Yes, and a game of you follows some of the characters introduced in a dream's house, and has almost a fantasy uh, dream setting, and talks about kind of a quest for some of the characters introduced in this arc, uh, but has a lot of other questions of identity and the relationship between dreams and identity. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do kind of remember a game of you, but uh, yeah, season of mist is the one that I, I always think of when I'm thinking of Sandman. But the doll's house sets up a lot of that, including a uh, season of mists uh, with one of the characters we'll talk about later, very briefly queen Nada. Mm -hmm. um, but let's go through, I, I, rather than going through the plot of a doll's house yeah. uh, or the doll's house, uh, we thought we'd just talk about, individual concepts that can be useful in invisible sun, but I will let you get back to your, to your notes. <laughs> sure. Um, so as I was going through it, yeah, I, di I didn't really want to summarize the plot or walk through the plot because I don't know, the plot wasn't the most interesting part to me. Um, all these little pieces that were part of it are what I think are more relevant to what we want to talk about. And uh, the first thing that I thought was a really interesting idea was the idea of a dream vortex. And in the comic, that's uh, Rose Walker. It's a person who attracts stray dreams from other people. And this, this you know, causes problems in certain ways. I think, you know, throughout the, the book, uh, Rose finds herself like showing up in, you know, these strange dreams. Uh, but it also has a side effect of having like people seem to be attracted to her in the real world. It, does that sound about right? Yes. Um, now it, it seems like people with a connection to the dream are drawn to her in the real world. Yeah. And that's, that's what I mean. The attraction. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, she she seems to draw these these things to her. So, um, do are there any dream entities that uh, show up and, and interact with her directly? I mean, there's uh, ooh, what's his name? <laughs> Some of it spoilers. So, uh, but yes, there are several dr- dream entities that connect to her um, either directly or indirectly. She meets some of them in the uh, the house she stays in. Yep. She meets some of them um, because they are, interact with her family members. Uh, again, that being a little dodgy because I don't want to give away too much about some of the, the uh, twists in the plot. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a clear sense that she and her family are drawing are drawing uh, the people who kind of wandered out of the dreaming or the 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 entities that had drawn that had wandered out of the dreaming. Uh, while Morpheus was away, as described in the first arc, those are attracted to her family uh, more broadly. Uh, really, I think all of them in this arc are drawn to her family members. Yeah, because there's there's Rose, uh, who has a you know Gilbert shows up, and there's yeah we're gonna spoil a couple things, but I mean it's the broad strokes are still there. Um, yeah, and then her younger brother Jed Walker, um, you mm-hmm. know he's got some dream entities that take an interest in him. Uh, it turns out that um, he's, he's a good place for them to hide uh, because um, I mean, this isn't much of a spoiler, but brute and glob uh, have been hiding in there from Morpheus. Uh, they've been hiding in the mind of this child and they've been, uh, I guess, hanging out in there and trying to create their own Sandman something like that and whether it's it's not clear whether they're trying to create sandman like morpheus's sandman or sandman like the old school jack kirby sandman that's more of a pulp adventure sandman uh, it, it, it mixes that up a little bit so as i was doing some research into this the the character in the book is the jack kirby sandman from the 70s mm-hmm. the one that brute and glob create yes. yeah yeah and brute and glob were actually in that comic too yes i yeah that's that's right so yeah, they're hanging out there, uh, and that was another interesting thing. Like uh, dreams, like the blue sun, you know, has a lot to do with dreams. But you know, when when people under let's say the indigo sun go to sleep and they dream, there's an idea that they are traveling into the blue sun or they're touching the blue sun with their dreams. Does that sound familiar? Yes, um, and and the boundaries are unclear in. Uh... deliberately so in the game Um, and in the graphic novel as well, because uh, I think they're, they're trying to create this sort of, uh, you know, boundary, you know, trespassing Mm -hmm. of dreams into the world and then the world back into the dreaming. So uh, in an invisible sun game, hiding in somebody's dreams would be a, you know, a pretty decent place to go if you're, connected to the blue sun and you need something that's familiar and something that you can manipulate uh, and something you could easily get to, but also it's disconnected enough from the blue that it would be a good place to obfuscate yourself. Yeah. I think we talked about some creatures that do just this. Did we? Oh my gosh. It was like uh, so long ago. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I am flipping through the book right now. Cause I think I'll remember the name uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, and I guess while we're talking about uh, creatures of the blue sun, uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on the Corinthian here, because I think the Corinthian is 
the Corinthian is interesting. He's a, a failed creation of the Sandman of Morpheus. And I think that's fairly interesting. Um, so do you have any examples of the, the blue creatures that mess around with dreams? Uh, the Noema. Yeah. What's the Noema do? That's one that hides in people um, and takes on their identity ah. and then passes from person to person. Oh, yeah. I remember talking about that now. It wasn't just a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's It's been a little longer for us. In the summer, we have to space out our recordings a bit more. Yeah. Uh, so Brute and Glob, that, you know, they're kind of doing a similar sort of thing. Like they're, they've found this. They were attracted to this kid, Jed Walker, and they set up shop in his dreams, in his mind, and they're just hanging out there and they're hiding. So the Corinthian, um, the Corinthian's a, a creation of the Sandman, uh, and he's, you know, if this was an invisible sun creature, it would be, you know, I guess it would be something you might find on the night side of blue. But uh, Morpheus says that he created this creature to be. Uh, the darkness and the fear of darkness in every human heart. It's a black mirror made to reflect everything about itself that humanity will not confront. Uh, and the Corinthian ultimately turns out to be a failure in Morpheus's eyes. And it's because the Corinthian is just going around murdering people and inspiring people to murder people. And that's not what Morpheus was hoping for him to do and this is where i feel like we can start getting into what are the actual motivations of morpheus what what are this like otherworldly creatures motivations because they're not human and it's not good it's not evil like this is something that he was doing in order to create a nightmare for people to experience, but why? Yeah, we've the night side of all the suns has been very difficult to pin down. We'll get hopefully mm -hmm. more information on that in a couple books, but it, it seems reasonable, uh, especially with the black mirror uh, metaphor, to talk about the Corinthian as, as a, a representative of what would be the night side of blue. Uh, if the night side of blue is kind of nightmares. Uh, but I think you raised a really great question about kind of motivation. And I was reminded a lot of kind of mythology once taken out of the, you know, uh, out of sort of the grade school uh, stories of heroes and that sort of stuff, uh, where mm -hmm. it becomes clear that the, the motivation of gods in a lot of mythology, in a lot of mythologies is, is very alien, that they pre-exist humans. Humans are kind of a blip in their eyes. Um, sometimes then the, they're represented by having, not grander, but in fact, more petty motivations. You can think about, you know, Greek mythology, let's say, and the gods are in some sense, you know, greater than humans, more powerful than humans. They predate humans, created humans. Um, and yet when they're depicted, they're often depicted as having uh, petty interests in, you know, pursuing uh, beautiful humans that, that uh, or, or, uh, or petty revenge, um, or internecine sort of battles among the gods. Uh, and it all seems very uh, uh, immature in some ways, um, but it's, it's projected onto these greater than human figures. And, I, I, and we see similar uh, approach to characterizing Morpheus here, where in some sense, he is beyond the concerns of humans. He, for him, 
uh, a difference between generations is, is nothing. Um, and, you know, hundreds of years are just sort of the, the, the kind of time scale he thinks of rather routinely. He's certainly not worried about individual people. On the other hand, it's this level of, of abstraction to him doesn't lead him to have these broad motivations uh, other than maybe protecting the very concept of dream and the, the, the role that dream has for all sentient life. Um, but he still gets caught up in very petty motivations. He, uh, as we may expand upon a little bit later, this story arc includes um, first a, a disregard for it, for kind of sentient life, depending mm-hmm. on how you define that. Uh, it includes uh, a vindictiveness of someone who has crossed him in the past. Uh, it, it and, and not just try not in, in the name of the dreaming, but really because of just because this person had had dared not do what he wanted them to do. Right. Uh, so it it has that mixture of abstraction and pettiness that I see in a lot of mythologies. He's got a mixture of that uh, pettiness and vindictiveness. Um, and I guess you could talk about that in the broader sense of mythologies. And I've, I mean, I was trying to fig- think of, uh, you know, why that would be the case for so many, you know, stories about gods from, you know, Greeks and Romans and whatnot. Um, and I'm wondering, is it, is it just to make that sort of behavior more apparent and something that you can really dig into as a person who has all sorts of flaws to see this grander and greater being, you know, having those same kind of flaws? Does it make it easier to justify as a person? It could be that it humanizes the gods. Uh, it could be that the authors, uh, you know, not necessarily of specific texts, but of traditions, recognize that in order to make the gods comprehensible to their listeners, uh, they would need to have human characteristics. And mm-hmm. those characteristics were sort of exaggerated to over to, to overcome the natural distance of, of describing a story about a different type of entity, a god. Um, it could also be that these had been long ago co-opted to be moral tales, intended to teach lessons about behavior. So the pettiness is used to teach the the uh, problems associated with these uh, human foibles. Uh, and this has varied from them being, again, kind of school school child level moral tales um, all the way to more, you know, all, all sort of the moralistic uh, playwrights and the like. Uh, once they once the gods were used to teach moral lessons, uh, they had to be sort of exaggerated um, I- expressions of the of different motivations in order to uh, reflect these moral motivations. Uh now in Sandman, it's it's not as clear what moral lesson is being taught. I don't Certainly I don't know if there's yet. a moral lesson being taught with Sandman in in that instance. I think yeah, it's I, just, I don't think that was his. Yeah, I think Neil Gaiman is just creating a character who is flawed. I mean, we're we're past the you know primal gods that you know we may have had moral uh, stories built around, uh, and this is more of a character study in who is this creature that is more powerful than a human like they're that you know he's one of the gods in this comic series but he's got characteristics that are very identifiable like he gets spurned and he gets you know very vindictive about it yeah and I wonder if there's a lesson for the whole series and this obviously this isn't going to be spoilers because this is very high level broad uh, mm-hmm. discussion. It's really a contemplation of the role of dreaming and creativity 
both the connections between between dreaming and creativity and the role of dreaming and creativity in our lives. So it's where not does, as moralistic as others. So where does the creation of the Corinthian fall into that? Like, why do we need to have nightmares? Why is the God of dreams creating nightmares to make people confront the darkness and their fears when they're sleeping? Yeah. And, and why do we create horror fiction? Because oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's important to remember that the Corinthian was a creature of dream as created. He was slipping into and out of people's dreams. He was not intended to be released into our world to then go on a, a, a killing spree. Um, and so, he wasn't supposed to just inspire murder in people. He was supposed right. to make them confront their fears and confront the darkness out there. So again, it kind of feeds back into this broader issue of what's the role of dreams in our lives. Um, and most of the series is about the creative role of dreams and aspirations and how they can ennoble us in various ways. But here it, there's the, the admission that dreams include nightmares. And night, but that doesn't mean that dreams are bad or even that nightmares are bad. Instead, nightmares serve an important purpose in our lives uh, until they are perverted by bringing those nightmares into the world itself. I suppose uh, as long as it's in the dream, I mean, it's a, a safe place for you to experience things that you're afraid of. Like facing your right. fears and is something that's going to make you stronger and a better person. And, and you can conceptually swap the dreaming and fiction. And as part of this contemplation of the role of dreaming and creativity in our lives. that So a, a creature like the Corinthian can be useful in fiction as their dark mirror, mm -hmm. as a, um, as a, a source of fear uh, and of self-exploration motivated by that fear. But when this concept passes from fiction and contemplation into behavior and the world, that's when you have all these problems. And that sounds like an invisible sun story. We may revisit some of the elements of the story if we continue along in the Sandman arc, uh, particularly Queen Nada. There's a there's a one issue story that in, that and she'll be very important later, uh, but we can pick her up when she becomes more relevant. This was mostly just a tease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sets things up later on, uh, but this is this was mostly about the Corinthian and the Dream Vortex and you know the fallout as the as Morpheus continues to go out and recollect his um i guess dream or creations yeah servants this ends our walk maybe you discovered something today maybe you need to look closer the music was titled beyond from wes otis and plate mail games it is available from drive through rpg invisible sun is the intellectual property of monty cook games you can find a link to their website in the show notes you can find our show archive at incantationspodcast.com, and you can email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find Scott at Agonseer on Twitter, and you can find me at tex underscore red on Twitter. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find the show. Or tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to help us out.